Chapter Twenty Three of the Empire of Russia. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Reading done by Jules Harlock of Mississauga, Ontario, Canada. The Empire of Russia from the remotest periods to the present time by john stevens cabot abbott chapter twenty three peter the third and his bride from seventeen twenty eight to seventeen sixty two lineage of peter the third chosen by elizabeth as her successor the bride chosen for peter her lineage the courtship the marriage autobiography of catherine anecdotes of peter his neglect of catherine and his debaucheries amusement of the russian court military execution of a rat ascension of peter the third to the throne supremacy of catherine her repudiation threatened the conspiracy its successful accomplishment Peter the Third was grandson of Peter the Great. His mother, Anne, the eldest daughter of Peter and Catherine, married the Duke of Holstein, who inherited a duchy on the eastern shores of the Baltic containing some 4,000 square miles of territory and about 300,000 inhabitants. Their son and only child, Peter, was born in the ducal castle at Kyle, the capital of the duchy. In the year 1728, the blood of Peter the Great of Russia and of Charles Twelfth of Sweden mingled in the veins of the young duke, of which fact he was exceedingly proud. Soon after the birth of Peter, his mother, Anne, died. The father of Peter was the son of the eldest sister of Charles the Twelfth, and, as such being the nearest heir, would probably have succeeded to the throne of Sweden, had not the king's sudden death by a cannonball prevented him from designating his successor. The widowed father of Peter, thus disappointed in his hopes of obtaining the crown of Sweden, which his aunt Ulrika, his mother's sister, successfully grasped, lived in great retirement. The idea had not occurred to him that the crown of imperial Russia could, by any chance, descend to his son. And the education of Peter was conducted to qualify him to preside over his little patrimonial duchy. When the young Peter was fourteen years of age, the Empress Elizabeth, his maternal aunt, to the surprise and delight of the family, summoned the young prince to St. Petersburg, intimating her intention to transmit to him her crown. But Peter was a thoroughly worthless boy. All ignoble qualities seemed to be combined in his nature without any redeeming virtues. Elizabeth, having thus provided twenty millions of people with a sovereign, looked about to find for that sovereign a suitable wife, 
upon the banks of the odor there was a small principality as it was called containing some thirteen hundred square miles about the size of the state of rhode island christian augustus the prince of this little domain had a daughter sophia a child rather remarkable both for beauty and vivacity she was one year younger than peter and elizabeth fixed her choice upon sophia as the future spouse of her nephew peter was at this time with the empress in moscow and sophia was sent for to spend some time in the russian capital before the marriage that she might become acquainted with the russian language and customs both of these children had been educated protestants but they were required to renounce the lutheran faith and accept that of the greek church children as they were they did this of course as readily as they would have changed their dresses with this change of religion sophia received a new name that of catherine and by this name she was ever afterwards called when these children to whom the government of the russian empire was to be entrusted first met peter was fifteen years of age and catherine fourteen catherine subsequently commenced a minute journal an autobiography of these her youthful days which opens vividly to our view the corruptions of the russian court nothing can be more wearisome than the life there developed no thought whatever seemed to be directed by the court to the interests of the russian people there were no more thought of than the jaded horses who dragged the chariots of the nobles it is amazing that the indignation of the millions can have slumbered so long catherine in her memoirs naively describes young peter when she first saw him as weak ugly little and sickly from the age of ten he had been addicted to intoxicating drinks it was the ninth of february seventeen forty four when catherine was taken to moscow peter or as he was then called the grand duke was quite delighted to see the pretty girl who was his destined wife and began immediately to entertain catherine as she says by informing me that he was in love with one of the maids of honors to the empress and that he would have been very glad to have married her but that he was resigned to marry me instead as his aunt wished it the grand duke had the faculty of making himself excessively disagreeable to every one around him and the affianced haters were in a constant quarrel peter could develop nothing but stupid malignity catherine could wield the weapons of keen and cutting sarcasm which peter felt as the mule feels the lash catherine's mother had accompanied her to moscow but the bridal wardrobe for a princess was extremely limited i had arrived she writes in russia very badly provided for if i had three or four dresses in the world it was the very outside and this at a court where people changed their dresses three times a day a dozen chemises constituted the whole of my linen 
and I had to use my mother's sheets. Soon after Catherine's arrival, the Grand Duke was taken with the smallpox, and his natural ugliness was rendered still more revolting by the disfigurement it caused. On the 10th of February, 1745, when Catherine had been one year at Moscow, the Grand Duke celebrated his 17th birthday. In her journal, Catherine writes that Peter seldom saw her, and was always glad of any excuse by which he could avoid paying her any attention. Though Catherine cared as little for him, still, with girlish ambition, she was eager to marry him, as she very frankly records, in consideration of the crown which he would place upon her brow, and her womanly nature was stung by his neglect. I fully perceive, she writes, his want of interest, and how little I was cared for. My self-esteem and vanity grieved in silence, but I was too proud to complain. I should have thought myself degraded had any one shown me a friendship which I could have taken for pity. Nevertheless, I shed tears when alone, then quietly dried them up and went to romp with my maids. I labored, however, writes Catherine, to gain the affection of everyone. Great or small, I neglected no one but laid it down to myself as a rule to believe that I stood in need of everyone, and so to act, in consequence, as to obtain the goodwill of all, and I succeeded in doing so. The 21st of August of this year was fixed for the nuptial day. Catherine looked forward to it with extreme repugnance. Peter was revolting in his aspect, disgusting in manners, a drunkard and licentious to such a degree that he took no pains to conceal his amours. But the crown of Russia was in the eyes of Catherine so glittering a prize, though she had not entered her sixteenth year, that she was willing to purchase it even at the price of marrying Peter, the only price at which it could be obtained. She was fully persuaded that Peter, with a feeble constitution and wallowing in debauchery could not live long and that at his death she would be undisputed empress as the day of our nuptials approached she writes i became more and more melancholy my heart predicted but little happiness ambition alone sustained me in my inmost soul there was something which led me never to doubt for a single moment that sooner or later i should become sovereign empress of russia in my own right the marriage was celebrated with much pomp but a more cold and heartless union was perhaps never solemnized catherine very distinctly intimates that her husband who was as low in his tastes and companionship as he was degraded in his vices left her at the altar to return to his more congenial harem. My beloved spouse, she writes, did not trouble himself in the slightest degree about me, but was constantly with his valets, playing at soldiers, exercising them in his room, or changing his uniform twenty times a day. I yawned and grew weary, having no one to speak to. 
again she writes a fortnight after our marriage he confessed to me that he was in love with mademoiselle carr maid of honor to her imperial majesty he said that there was no comparison between that lady and me surely said i to myself it would be impossible for me not to be wretched with such a man as this were i to give way to sentiments of tenderness thus requited i must die of jealousy without benefit to any one i endeavored to master my feelings so as not to be jealous of the man who did not love me i was naturally well disposed but i should have required a husband who had common sense which this one had not for amusement the grand duke played cruelly with his dogs in his room pretending to train them whipping them from corner to corner when tired of this he would scrape execrably on a violin he had many little puppet soldiers whom hour after hour he would marshal on the floor in mimic war he would dress his own servants and the maids of catherine in masks and set them dancing while he would dance with them playing at the same time on the fiddle with rare perseverance writes catherine the grand duke trained a pack of dogs and with heavy blows of his whip and cries like those of the huntsman made them fly from one end to the other of his two rooms which were all he had such of the dogs as became tired or got out of rank were severely punished which made them howl still more on one occasion hearing one of these animals howl piteously and for a long time i opened the door of my bedroom where i was seated and which adjoined the apartment in which this scene was enacted and saw him holding this dog by the collar suspended in the air while a boy who was in his service a kalmuk by birth held the animal by the tail it was a poor little king charles spaniel and the duke was beating him with all his might with the heavy handle of a whip i interceded for the poor beast but this only made him redouble his blows unable to bear so cruel a scene i returned to my room with tears in my eyes in general tears and cries instead of moving the duke to pity put him in a passion pity was a feeling that was painful and even insupportable in his mind at one time there was a little hunchback girl in the court upon whom the duke fixed his vagrant desires and she became his unconcealed favorite the duke was ever in the habit of talking freely with catherine about his paramours and praising their excellent qualities madame valisma said to me writes catherine that every one was disgusted to see this little hunchback preferred to me it cannot be helped i said as the tears started to my eyes i went to bed scarcely was i asleep when the grand duke also came to bed as he was tipsy and knew not what he was doing he spoke to me for the purpose of expatiating on the eminent qualities of his favorite to check his garrulity i pretended to be fast asleep he spoke still louder in order to wake me but finding that i slept 
he gave me two or three rather hard blows in the side with his fist and dropped asleep himself i wept long and bitterly that night as well on account of the matter itself and the blows he had given me as on that of my general situation which was in all respects as disagreeable as it was wearisome one of the ridiculous and disgraceful amusements of the vulgar men and women collected in the court of elizabeth was what was called masquerade balls in which all the men were required to dress as women and all the women as men and yet no masks were worn the men catherine writes wore large whalebone petticoats with women's gowns and headdresses worn on court days while the women appeared in the court costume of men the men did not like these reversals of their sex and the greater part of them were in the worst possible humor on these occasions because they felt themselves to be hideous in such disguises the women looked like scrubby little boys while the more aged among them had thick short legs which were anything but ornamental the only woman who looked really well and completely a man was the empress herself and as she was very tall and somewhat powerful male attire suited her wonderfully well she had the handsomest leg i have ever seen with any man and her foot was admirably proportioned she danced to perfection and everything she did had a special grace equally so whether she dressed as a man or a woman enervating and degrading pleasure and ambitions or revengeful wars engrossed the whole attention of the russian court during the reign of elizabeth the welfare of the people was not even thought of the following anecdote illustrative of the character of peter the third is worthy of record in the words of catherine one day when i went into the apartments of his imperial highness i beheld a great rat which he had hung with all the paraphernalia of an execution i asked what all this meant he told me that this rat had committed a great crime which according to the laws of war deserved capital punishment it had climbed the ramparts of a fortress of cardboard which he had on a table in his cabinet and had eaten two sentinels made of pith who were on duty in the bastions his setter had caught the criminal he had been tried by martial law and immediately hung and as i saw was to remain there three days exposed as a public example in justification of the rat continues catherine it may at least be said that he was hung without having been questioned or heard in his own defence it is not surprising that a woman young beautiful and vivacious living in a court where corruption was all around her where an unmarried empress was rendering herself notorious by her gallantries stung to the quick by the utter neglect of her husband insulted by the presence of his mistresses and disgusted by his unmitigated boobyism should have sought solace in the friendship of others and it is not strange that such friendship should have ripened into love 
and that one thus tempted should have fallen catherine in her memoirs does not deny her fall though she cannot refrain from allowing an occasional word to drop from her pen evidently intended in extenuation much which is called virtue consists in the absence of temptation catherine's first son paul was born on the twentieth of september seventeen fifty three he was unquestionably the son of count sotikoff a nobleman alike distinguished for the graces of his person and of his mind through a thousand perils and cunning intrigues catherine and the count prosecuted their amour woe was as usual to both of them the result the empress gives a very touching account of her sufferings in both body and mind on the occasion of the birth of her child as for me she writes i did nothing but weep and moan in my bed i neither could or would see anybody i felt so miserable i buried myself in my bed where i did nothing but grieve when the forty days of my confinement were over the empress came a second time into my chamber my child was brought into my room it was the first time i had seen him since his birth one day peter brought into his wife's room for her amusement a letter which he had just received from one of his mistresses madame teploff showing the letter to catherine he said only think she writes me a letter of four whole pages and expects that i should read it and what is more answer it also i who have to go to parade then dine then attend the rehearsal of an opera and the ballet which the cadets will dance at i will tell her plainly that i have not time and if she is vexed i will quarrel with her till next winter that will certainly be the shortest way catherine coolly replied these traits she very truly adds in her narrative are characteristic and they will not therefore be out of place such was the man and such the woman who succeeded to the throne of russia upon the death of the empress elizabeth she had hardly emitted her last breath ere the courtiers impatiently awaiting the event rushed to the apartments of the grand duke to congratulate him upon his ascension to the crown he immediately mounted on horseback and traversed the streets of st petersburg scattering money among the crowd the soldiers gathered around him exclaiming take care of us and we will take care of you though the grand duke had been very unpopular there was no outburst of opposition the only claim peter the third had to the confidence of the nation was the fact that he was grandson of peter the great conspiracies were however immediately set on foot to eject him from the throne and give catherine his seat catherine had a high reputation for talent and being very affectionate in her disposition and cordial in her manners had troops of friends indeed it is not strange that public sentiment should not only have extenuated her faults but should almost have applauded them forgetting the commandments of god 
and only remembering that her brutal husband richly merited retaliation the public almost applauded the spirit with which she conducted her intrigues the same sentiment pervaded england when the miserable george the fourth goaded his wife to frenzy and led her in uncontrollable exasperation to pay him back in his own coin fortunately for the imbecile peter he had enough sense to appreciate the abilities of catherine and a sort of maudlin idea of justice if it were not perhaps utter stupidity dissuaded him from resenting her freedom in the choice of favorites upon commencing his reign he yielded himself to the guidance of her imperial mind hoping to obtain some dignity by the renown which her measures might reflect upon him catherine advised him very wisely she caused seventeen thousand exiles to be recalled from siberia and abolished the odious secret court of chancery that court of political inquisition which for years had kept all russia trembling for a time russia resounded with the praises of the new sovereign and when peter the third entered the senate and read an act permitting the nobility to bear arms or not at their own discretion and to visit foreign countries whenever they pleased a privilege which they had not enjoyed before the gratitude of the nobles was unbounded it should however be recorded that this edict proved to be but a dead letter it was expected that the nobles as a matter of courtesy should always ask permission to leave and this request was frequently not granted the secret tribunal to which we have referred exposed persons of all ranks and both sexes to be arrested upon the slightest suspicion the accused was exposed to the most horrible tortures to compel a confession when every bone was broken and every joint dislocated and his body was mangled by the crushing wheel if he still had endurance to persist in his denial the accuser was in his turn placed upon the wheel and every nerve of agony was tortured to force a recantation of the charge though peter the third promulgated the wise edicts which were placed in his hands he had become so thoroughly imbruted by his desolate life that he made no attempt to tear himself away from his mistresses and his drunken orgies peter the third was quite infatuated in his admiration of frederick of prussia one of his first acts upon attaining the reins of government was to dispatch an order forbidding the russian armies any longer to cooperate with austria against prussia this command was speedily followed by another directing the russian generals to hold themselves and their troops obedient to the instructions of frederick and to cooperate in every way with him to repel their former allies the austrians it was the caprice of a drunken semi-idiot which thus rescued frederick the great from disgrace and utter ruin the emperor of prussia had sufficient sagacity to foresee that peter the third would not long maintain his seat upon the throne 
he accordingly directed his ministers at st petersburg while continuing to live in great intimacy with the tsar to pay the most deferential attention to the empress there was no end to the caprices of peter the drunkard at one time he would leave the whole administration of affairs in the hands of catherine and again he would treat her in the most contemptuous and insulting manner in one of the pompous ceremonials of the court when the empress adorned with all the marks of imperial dignity shared the throne with peter the tsar called one of his mistresses to the conspicuous seat he occupied with the empress and made her sit down by his side catherine immediately rose and retired at a public festival that same evening peter half drunk publicly and loudly launched at her an epithet the grossest which could be addressed to a woman catherine was so shocked that she burst into tears the sympathy of the spectators was deeply excited in her behalf and their indignation rose against the tsar while peter the third was developing his true character of brute and buffoon gathering around him the lowest profligates and reveling in the most debasing and vulgar vices catherine though guilty and unhappy was holding her court with dignity and affability which charmed all who approached her she paid profound respect to the external observances of religion daily performing her devotions in the churches accosting the poor with benignity treating the clergy with marked respect and winning all hearts by her kindness and sympathy one of the mistresses of peter the third the countess voronsov had gained such a boundless influence over her paramour that she had extorted from him the promise that he would repudiate catherine marry her and crown her as empress elated by this promise she had the imprudence to boast of it her father and several of the courtiers whose fortunes her favor would secure were busy in paving her way to the throne the numerous friends of catherine were excited and were equally active in thwarting the plans of the tsar peter took no pains to conceal his intentions and gloried in proclaiming the illegitimacy of paul the son of the empress loathsome as his own life was he seemed to think that his denunciations of catherine's whose purity he had insulted and whose heart he had crushed would secure for him the moral support of his subjects and of europe but he was mistaken the sinning catherine was an angel of purity compared with the beastly peter it was necessary for peter to move with caution for catherine had ability energy innumerable friends and was one of the last women in the world quietly to submit to be plunged into a dungeon and then to be led to the scaffold and by such a man as her despicable spouse peter the third was by no means a match for catherine about twelve miles from st petersburg on the southern shore of the bay of kronstadt and nearly opposite the renowned fortress of kronstadt which commanded the approaches to st petersburg 
was the imperial summer palace of peterhof which for some time had been the favorite residence of catherine a few miles further down the bay which runs east and west was the palace of orienbaum in the decorations of which many succeeding monarchs had lavished large sums this was peter's favorite resort and its halls ever echoed with the carousing of the prince and his boon companions every year on the eighth of july there is a grand festival at peterhof in the honor of peter and paul the patron saints of the imperial house this was the time fixed upon by catherine and her friends for the accomplishment of their plans the tsar on the evening of the eighth of july was at orienbaum surrounded by a bevy of the most beautiful females of his court catherine was at peterhof it was a warm summer's night and the queen lodged in a small cottage oriene called mont plaisir which was situated in the garden they had not intended to carry their plot into execution that night but an alarm precipitated their action at two o'clock in the morning catherine was awoke from a sound sleep by some one of her friends entering her room exclaiming your majesty has not a moment to lose rise and follow me catherine alarmed called her confidential attendant dressed hurriedly in disguise and entered a carriage which was waiting for her at the garden gate the horses were goaded to their utmost speed on the road to st petersburg and so inconsiderately that soon one of them fell in utter exhaustion they were still at some distance from the city and the energetic empress alighted and pressed forward on foot soon they chanced to meet a peasant driving a light cart count orloff who was a reputed lover of catherine and was guiding in this movement seized the horse placed the empress in the cart and drove on these delays had occupied so much time that it was seven o'clock in the morning before they reached st petersburg the empress with her companions immediately proceeded to the barracks where most of the soldiers were quartered and whose officers had been gained over and threw herself upon their protection danger she said to the soldiers has compelled me to fly to you for help the tsar has intended to put me to death together with my son i had no other means of escaping death than by flight i throw myself into your arms such an appeal from a woman beautiful beloved and imploring protection from the murderous hands of one who was hated and despised inspired every bosom with indignation and with enthusiasm in her behalf with one impulse they took an oath to die if necessary in her defence and cries of long live the empress filled the air in two hours catherine found herself at the head of several thousand veteran soldiers she was also in possession of the arsenals and the great mass of the population of st petersburg were clamorously advocating her cause accompanied by a numerous and brilliant suite 
the empress then repaired to the metropolitan church where the archbishop and a great number of ecclesiastics whose cooperation had been secured received her and the venerable archbishop a man of imposing character and appearance dressed in his sacerdotal robes led her to the altar and placing the imperial crown upon her head proclaimed her sovereign of all the russias with the title of catherine the second a te deum was then chanted and the shouts of the multitude proclaimed the cordiality with which the populace accepted the revolution the empress then repaired to the imperial palace which was thrown open to all the people and which for hours was thronged with the masses who fell upon their knees before her taking their oath of allegiance the friends of catherine were in the meantime everywhere busy in putting the city in a state of defence and in posting cannon to sweep the streets should peter attempt resistance the tsar seemed to be left without a friend no one even took the trouble to inform him of what was transpiring troops in the vicinity were marched into the city and before the end of the day catherine found herself at the head of fifteen thousand men the most formidable defences were arranged strict orders prevailed and not a drop of blood had been shed the manifesto of the empress which had been secretly printed was distributed throughout the city and a day appointed when the foreign ambassadors would be received by catherine the revolution seemed already accomplished without a struggle and almost without an effort End of chapter twenty three